The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. This is Bill Willingham, and I'm the writer of Fables, although that's done, so mostly now I'm a bum. You're about to listen to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Why Matt doesn't get the first billing, we cannot know. Now like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 233. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, November 25th. We hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not letting my own blood and whispering in forgotten tongues to the dark gods of the holiday shopping season, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not putting on my spiked shoulder pads and mohawk to prepare for a post-Thanksgiving orgy of shopping and violence, I'm whining about missing my job as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. That's a lot of whining. And this, you know, this is the first Black Friday I've missed in a very long time. How's it feel? You know, I was okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Ringside, number one, and Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, number one. After that, Joe and I will cut a bloody swath through a mob of Walmart doorbusters while we review ten more of this week's new comics during the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be making a mess of Cyber Monday with the help of our robot friends and talking about some of next week's comics. Then... Because we find ourselves in a week with five Wednesdays. It's five Sundays. Five Sundays. Five episodes. Oh, just shut up. It's time for another teaching. Five years I've been event. explaining this to him. I grow weary of your math. <laughs> Where this time we'll be counting down our favorite comic book animal sidekicks or companions, whatever you want to call them. So join us in this celebration of the blackest of Fridays where the evil gods of commerce reign supreme and society crumbles as humankind is reduced to the frothing animals they are. And then we can talk about this week's big news. We got big news. Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. visited Jimmy Kimmel Live on Tuesday night bringing the first teaser trailer for Captain America, the Civil War, with them. This is great because I got a text from Joe Patrick that said, we're going to talk about the Civil War trailer. Make sure you watch it. If you can't find it, it's on Jimmy Kimmel's YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I know that it got, it was online for a minute and then it got taken down and right. then they officially released it, blah, right. blah, blah. But yeah, they aired it on Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, the trailer offered the first glimpses of Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther in action. He looked cool. Yes. Uh, it rekindled the fires of the Cap Bucky bromance. And it shed some light on the cause of the conflict between Captain America and Iron Man. Matt, what did you take away from your first look at Cap 3? First of all, it appears to be a big switch from the fight that started the Civil War we know. Yeah, so there is no new warriors in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah, so yeah. they can't blow up a town and kill a bunch of kids. <laughs> that kind of sucks, right? I mean... It's good for me because I hated that the new warriors were to blame for that. Well, this seems to make sense. I think they're saying that, like, look... Your buddy, Bucky, was did something really dangerous. Well, we don't know what he did. Well, we know that they have figured out he was an undercover agent for a long time and behind a bunch of stuff. And they're like, that's not OK. We can't just have you guys who are basically living registered weapons 
coming and going as you please and working well, for bad guys. Unregistered and, weapons. That's the whole point. Well, yeah. Then I think they're going to say, look, you all work for us now. And Cap's going to be like, no way, dude. Yeah. That's, no so way, dude. I, I think, I think <laughs> that the, the, the main thrust of the story will be the same, that the registration act and Iron Man, uh, deciding that everyone needs to sign up and, yeah. and be accountable. And Captain America said, screw you personal Liberty. Yeah. And I'm not taking off my mask for nobody. And I'm in love with Buck. Even you can't though take him. even though everybody already knows that he's Captain America. Right. Uh, it's just that the inciting incident will be different. Slightly different. And I'm totally fine with that. Still looks great. Natasha's there running yeah. around. Tony's there big time. And this is the first time there's been like major character crossover into one of like the main characters films. Right. I mean, other than black widow who kind of comes and goes from right. She's several of of the different movies. She's appeared in a lot of them. Black Panther looked amazing. He looked so cool. I was so excited. Like glowy face and stuff. Yeah, and then he like kicked Bucky across the room. It was awesome. Yeah. (laughs) And the final scene with Bucky and Cap like throwing the shield back and forth, beating the crap out of Iron Man. That was pretty tough. Woo! This looks kick ass. I'm very excited. Like I loved Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I was a little bit worried when that movie first came out because they switched directors and you know, it was kind of up in the air. It was not a problem. It was absolutely not a problem. This just looks like it's going to be as good or better yeah. than Winter Soldier. So far, as far as the single character movies go, the Cap ones have been my favorite. Totally winning. 100%. Joey, this week, Marvel launched a new video series called Marvel 101, devoted to giving fans an educational deep dive into some of their most iconic characters. Sounds filthy. I know, right? With new episodes made available every Tuesday on Marvel.com and Marvel's YouTube page, fans will be introduced to a one-minute episode. How deep can you really dive in one minute? (laughs) Right. Right? I feel like we've been diving for almost five years and we barely scratch the surface on some of these characters. So true. (laughs) Fans will be introduced to a one-minute episode that offers them a background crash course on a selected Marvel character, storyline, weapon, location, yada, yada, yada. The first 20 videos are available now, primarily featuring Marvel's current crop of film and television characters like Captain America, Jessica Jones, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, and more. Go figure. Marvel is marketing the program as a chance for new fans to quickly explore some of their most popular characters. Is this going to work? Is this going to make new little Marvel fans? Yeah, I don't know. I, this is what it seems like to me. Uh, it's going to make people that are already interested in comics maybe look at n- new characters. Right. Because somebody that's not interested in comics is probably not going to be spending a lot of time on Marvel.com looking at videos or like who is this captain america right you know <laughs> but if you're if you're a like a casual fan that's curious about the marvel universe and you really love the movies or whatever and you go to marvel.com and you've got all these videos saying here's a brief crash course about jessica jones right you just watched daredevil and now you see there's a new show and you're like who the hell is that yeah i think it's great in that respect and maybe it will turn in turn uh, new fans on but i think it will take casual fans and broaden their horizons. Sure. I think it's great. I I mean, it's free and yes, of course it's all marketing for Marvel and they're focusing obviously on characters that are front and center in the cinematic universe, but they're going to branch it out and they're well produced too. They look good. Yeah. They're slick. So it's not a bad way to do it. If I'm a kid, like 10 year old Matt reading Marvel comics and this stuff is around. I love it. Yeah. I I think it is completely awesome. You know what? Back in my day, we didn't have the YouTubes and the, Nope. And the, and the Marvel.com. We had the Marvel handbook. We had the handbook and we were <laughs> grateful for it. And so, uh, you know, I, 
I don't want to be like the guy that says ah, kids these days, <laughs> but I loved the handbook. I loved just, I did too. Randomly picking up this mammoth thing full of text on the spinner rack at quick shop and going, what the hell, who the hell is uh, a Tuma or whatever. <laughs> and uh, just like diving deep into the Marvel universe. Hey, kids don't have that kind of attention span these days. Well, now Wikipedia Bite- has completely neutered the handbook. Yeah, I know <laughs> bite-sized minute, minute videos. Tell them what they need to know. Bounce it off to a new character. I think it's great. It's great. So, Matt, we talked some months ago about the new line of comics from publisher Z2 Comics. I remember that. Uh, including the first creator-owned work from Bravest Warriors artist Ian McGinty. He's very good. Called Welcome to Showside. The series features the adventures of Kit, a lovable kid with a monstrous secret. His dad is the great Shadow King, and he wants Kit to take over the family business of destroying the world. And as much as he wants to skateboard, eat rad food, and hang with his buds, like any kid would, well, his father's a Shadow King, ruler of the Nexus, and that means sometimes Kit and his friends have to defend the town of Showside from ghosts, demons, monsters, and other gerblins. <laughs> gerblins? <laughs> yeah. So in the second issue of the series, there's a new member of Kit's group of friends called Toulouse, which is a name that only one person in history has ever possessed, I yeah, believe. Yeah, pretty sure. And he's based on a real life fan of the book named Patrick. Patrick met McGinty at Kansas City Comic Con and McGinty was so impressed by his enthusiasm for comics that he put Patrick in the story. That is so sweet. Not just in the background. That's so sweet. He is a main character. That is adorable. Can you imagine meeting your favorite creator as a kid only to have him put you in your favorite comic? Like, oh, Steve Rude. I love Nexus so much. And then the next episode, there's like short naked guy. That's like, help me Nexus. I've lost my pants. Is that what Nexus is? No, no. (laughs) I think it's so great. And I think it's obviously this happened in person at a a con, but comic book uh, culture is much smaller than we imagine it to be, even though it's spread all over the world. And so for this kid to have this kind of interaction with somebody that he is a huge fan of is just a, a wonderful thing. I wish I had been able to have something like that when yeah, I was his age. It's feel good. It's super cute. And this kid has got like serious bragging rights until he turns 16 and everybody's making fun of him for it. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> good on you guys. Good job, Patrick. Good job, Ian McGinty. Keep it up. You and you ought to be in Joe Patrick, you saw the King of Kong documentary, right? Yeah, I did. There was a dry eye after we saw like guy practicing on his Donkey Kong Steve machine. Weeby. Steve Weeby in yeah. his garage, only to be taken Neglecting down by his wife and children. Evil head Billy Mitchell. Yeah. Oh, mulleted monster. Unfortunately, like a bad penny, Billy Mitchell just won't go away. Last week, a federal judge threw out a lawsuit filed by hot sauce proprietor, world renowned gamer and real life supervillain Billy Mitchell, who claimed the Cartoon Network's regular show stole his likeness in the form of a bearded floating cartoon head. Have you seen this? Yeah. Okay. I have not seen it. And it's totally supposed to be here. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Cartoon Network argued that the regular show character Garrett Bobby Ferguson or GBF (laughs) is a distinctive transformative depiction of Mitchell, the infamous Donkey Kong champion and subject of 2007 documentary King of Kong, a fistful of quarters. The aforementioned. Oh boy, this is where we get to play lawyers and we're so good at this. New Jersey federal district judge Ann Thompson ruled that Mitchell's appearance had been exaggerated to the point that the character is cartoonishly evil and the show is protected by the First Amendment, quote, 
The television character does not match the plaintiff in appearance. I love that this went to court. If I could have been on this jury, man. <laughs> GBF appears as a non-human creature, a giant floating head with no body from outer space. While the plaintiff is a human being. <laughs> and when GBF loses his title, the character literally explodes. Unlike the plaintiff. I love that that was in the, that that line was in her findings. Joe, do you wish the judge would have demanded that Billy Mitchell explode at the end of these hearings? I, I kind of wish he would have. What an asshole. Oh, what a man. complete asshole. Is anybody watching regular show? First of all. The regular show is wonderful. How many people are watching the regular show and going, that's Billy Mitchell. Maybe some, yeah. right? A percentage. Yeah. How many of those people are in a position to buy Billy Mitchell's hot sauce? Right. And then decide not to buy it because he's a villain on the regular <laughs> Right. You know, I was going to pick it up. Not anymore. Mm. Not after he, uh, yeah. not after he gave Mordecai and, uh, what's his name? Such a hard time. Back in the day, there was like a Pokemon card where, uh, I can't remember what the character was, but it was bending a spoon with its mind and Yuri Geller <laughs> tried to sue Pokemon for saying they're like, that's supposed to be me. And he just got laughed out of court. I don't remember that. Oh no, God. that's amazing. They need to put both these jackasses on a boat and just sail them off the edge of the earth. This I mean, is <laughs> what I think is that Billy Mitchell just got tired of nobody talking about him. And decided that this needed to be a thing he, he did. I do like that he's just sitting around watching Cartoon Network, though. <laughs> yeah, like, he was at home. Like, what the f***? Hey! <laughs> Feelings all hurt. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything else we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where I've posted some of the funniest scenes from MST3K's episode where they watched Joe Don Baker's 1975 stinker of a detective film, Mitchell, to watch the taste of real life Billy Mitchell out of your mouth. That guy. Just talking about Mitchell. God. Ma, 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 Mitchell. It's my favorite episode. <laughs> Every Sunday, real-life superhero Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in the Teach and Forums. Joey, what are we asking the nerds this week? This week's question comes from our very own British delinquent. I who, he's a British sex pervert. Yeah, well, that's what you call him. Oh, that's right. Who asks, what is your favorite comic book cult hit? Something that had or has a small but vocal following or was underappreciated during its time. Like fish police. Like fish police. <laughs> I feel like I need... Pardon me, giant gangrene jujitsu jitsu <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I feel like I need to state the obvious for some of our listeners. Spider-Man is not a cult hit. No. <laughs> a cult favorite. Yes, this is a cult hit. Something that had a small but voracious following. Danger Girl. Danger Girl. Is a cult favorite for I some. I suppose. But you probably just took poor dude's answer. No. Who cares? How's that going to stop him? I'm just saying it has to be something that's not a phenomenon that not everybody loves. That, oh, say like, like Daredevil, for example. Not Sorry. a cult favorite. <laughs> uh, British delinquents uh, example was Hitman. Yeah. In I, his I would say that post. Underappreciated. And Joe and I will be the time. judge. It's not fair. It's nebulous at best, but Joe and I are your judges. Oh, yeah. Deal with it. Call your shot. If you want to call up and say Tim Benson, if you want to call up and say Daredevil is a call favorite. Feel free. Oh, go for it. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see what happens. See what happens. You have until 5 o'clock Central Standard Time this coming Friday, December 4th. To get us your answer, you can call and leave a message using Skype. The handle is 2 at a nerd, all one word. You can send an MP3 to 2 at a nerd at gmail.com or... You can call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. Did you notice I did those out of order? I Just to keep it that. fresh. Yeah. Whatever you do, keep it under two minutes. 
single answer, make your case, and get out. That's right. And then we will judge you harshly. If you need more time than that, head to the THN web forums, write your full answer, use all the space you need, and then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's review time in the ziggurat, so Matt and I camped out all night to be the first to pick up two of this week's new comics, but Matt had a little accident in his sleeping bag. It happens to everybody. And lost his place in line. Luckily, I was nice enough to grab his comic for him. Matt, I've, I trust you've cleaned up and you're ready. Yes, thank you. I'm fine. Today, I'm reviewing Ringside, number one from Image, written by Joe Keating, with art by Nick Barber. 40 pages for $3.99. There are so many parallels between comics and wrestling that I honestly can't believe it took this long for a wrestling soap opera comic book series to hit the stands. In the afterword of this book, Keating explains that he's a longtime wrestling fan who fell off for a while there, but returned in recent years. I also had a very similar arc in my wrestling fandom. And like Keating, it was documentaries like Beyond the Mat that brought me back. Beyond the Mat, a few years back, looked at these aging wrestlers like Jake the Snake and where they are now, it is amazing. And whether or not you're a wrestling fan, you should check it out just to see what these people put themselves through. This isn't an over-the-top wrestling in-ring kayfabe story. And for those of you who don't know, kayfabe is your in-ring personality. This is the story of the real lives of these performers. And it seems what happens outside the ring is much more complicated. Keating introduces us to retired legend Dan Nosos, who used to wrestle as the Minotaur before his fall from grace with the company. Dan has spent the last few years in Japan, a country that has a wrestling history as rich as the U.S., but decides to return after he gets a phone call about an old friend in trouble. From there, we meet five more characters that Keating instantly fleshes out through very simple but perfect storytelling and dialogue. Nick Barber's art here is loose at times, but he does a wonderful job separating each character and projecting emotion. His panels are very straightforward and they're minimal, but they're packed full of personality and humanity. Very little of this story takes place in the ring, but instead we meet several different characters, some new wrestlers, an old pro trying to stay relevant, and others who just want to cash in on Dan in a different way. All of them are instantly recognizable. They all orbit around the wrestling world. Ringside has all the pulp charm and humanity of Ed Brubaker's criminal series, but the story is wrestling centric. It's just amazing. Now, don't balk at this just because you think wrestling is stupid. One, you're wrong. Wrestling is a truly amazing and uniquely American art form with a rich history of amazing performers. Don't believe me? Look into it. And two, this is just a solid real world crime noir comic that feels fresh and different from the other cop criminal stuff on the shelves. I'm giving this a gigantic buy it. I really loved it. it I thought it was, was excellent. Cool. I knew that it was going to be more than just the wrestling drama. I guess I didn't expect that it was going to get into like a criminal scheme type of story. I I thought the wrestling stuff was going to be a bigger part of it. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a huge part of it, but I thought the plot was going to revolve around it. Unfortunately, in the real world, a lot of these wrestlers like coming up were involved in really dark, gnarly crap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I wasn't disappointed by how the story turned out. I loved it. I thought it was really excellent. Um, it was just quite a surprise. I thought the art was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Keating obviously is locked into this world and he's passionate about it and he's got a firm handle on 
you know, the ins and the outs and the behind the scenes politics and how these aging wrestlers uh, lives tend to go downhill and, and what it takes to maintain their bodies. Right. After like, there's a scene in there. It's just a throwaway thing. He's at dinner with his old pals. Oh, in the diner. Yeah. With his old buddy and the young guy. Yeah. And he orders a double cheeseburger. And well, his, first they order first, and they're like yeah, chicken your, and rice, your plainest plain. grilled chicken, right? Yeah. And uh, he orders a double cheeseburger, and the guy goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You know what happens when retired guys start to eat like that?" Yeah. Are you sure? Man, you know, it's, it's true. You should see some of these guys. Ugh. And it was just a little thing, you know, just uh, what it's like to keep your body together. Yeah, you're basically a bodybuilder, an acrobat, and an actor. I can't think of many professions that are more demanding. I mean, perhaps like pro football running back or something. <laughs> yeah, I really loved it. I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't put it down. I'm very excited to see where the story goes. It's a huge buy for me. I'm here to show the world. I'm here to show the world. Joe Patrick, let's get into it. Let's just do it. Let's tear the bandaid off. We can do it. It's going to be fine. Let's talk about the Dark Knight 3. All right. Dark Knight 3, colon, the master race, number one from DC Comics, written by Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello, with art by Andy Kubert and Frank Miller. 48 pages for $5.99. That's expensive for 48 pages. To be fair, though, a lot of Marvel's books were only 40 pages for $4.99. That's true. So, That's true. Which is still expensive. Yeah. I don't know if eight extra pages is worth an extra buck, but... Your mileage may vary. So this week, everyone's got something to say about Dark Knight 3. Some of it's good, some of it is bad, and some of it is just plain relief that the book wasn't the complete train wreck that it could have been. It's been three years in the story since the conclusion of Dark Knight Strikes Again. Batman has been missing from the Gotham streets. This time, it's not the rise in violent crime that incites the Dark Knight to return, but it's the increasing problem of police brutality and corruption ripped once again straight from the headlines. Oh yeah. Meanwhile, Superman and Wonder Woman's daughter has gone AWOL, leading her to a major discovery in the frozen ruins of the Fortress of Solitude. Why would anyone look there? Yeah, really? <laughs> Superman's missing. Anyone check his apartment? No. <laughs> I mean, that's that's all well and good, but I found myself asking what Batman's dramatic return had to do with the main plot, the titular master race the answer at the moment seems to be nothing yet (laughs) there's a big twist towards the end of the book that was spoiled by nearly every comic site to feature the issue that's not the comic's fault i'm not going to tell you what it is i thought miller and azarello did a fine job ratcheting up the tension leading up to that big reveal the dialogue is just about as heavy-handed as i was expecting from this pair of writers right down to some truly cringeworthy text speech that reads like no text message that's ever been sent in the history of this planet. Yeah, I wonder like <laughs> where they got that. There's been a lot. I of, seen him, right? And I, I kept looking at him like I can. Him? I can him. I can, I can him. him. I seen him. And I was like, oh, seen. Yeah, him. nobody does that. No. Yeah. There's been a lot of talk this week about how much of DK3 is actually Miller's contribution, aside from the art in the Adam mini comic and the obvious influence on the look of this issue. My gut tells me that he didn't have too much to do with what ended up on the printed page. That's neither here nor there when it comes down to the book's quality. But I do think it's worth noting how heavily Miller's name is being used in the marketing of this series, which so far is just okay. I thought the art in the main story by Andy Kubert, Claus Jansen and colorist Brad Anderson was strong. Kubert is definitely channeling Miller 
both in his page layouts and his character designs. Looking at you, improbably broad-shouldered trench coat-wearing police commissioner. Yeah, no doubt. It looked like a little kid wearing uh, grown-up yeah, clothes. Wearing a Frankenstein <laughs> costume. <laughs> Kubert does a good, a good job of making the book feel visually reminiscent of The Dark Knight Returns. Absolutely. I'm not the world's biggest Klaus Janssen fan, but I thought that his looser, scratchier inking style paired well with Kubert, who draws very tight, finished pencils. If you look at Adam Kubert or Andy Kubert's pencils, they could just drop color in that thing and they'd be ready to go. Absolutely. So his work is very, very finished. Anderson's colors coat the art in cool blues and rusty reds and oranges and stark blasts of white. During the city scenes, then it transitions to a lush palette of greens when the action moves over to the home of the Amazons, which I don't think was Themyscira. It looked like there was, she was dudes there in like the Amazon. South America. Yeah. Like Aztec ruins right. or something. I don't know. Anderson's work, I thought, was a nice compliment to the line art by Kubert and Jansen, not the neon nightmare that Frank Miller's wife, Lynn Varley, oh, <laughs> uh, created in The Dark Knight Strikes Again. It looked like she stood like across the room and threw color at the book. Yeah. <laughs> There's a second story drawn by Frank Miller himself, which brings a little forward momentum to the plot, as well as reintroduces a classic DC character that's going to have a role in the story to come. It's way toned down from some of the things we've seen Miller draw lately. I'm not sure why this was relegated to a separate story. It seems pretty germane to the main plot, but it was fine. And that's kind of the bottom line for me when it comes to Dark Knight 3. Once you cut through the hype and the marketing buzzwords and the online prejudgmental outrage, which I admit we kind of contributed to, what you're left with is a comic book that's fine. Aside from some pretty art, there's nothing to get worked up over. It's not the bat insane DK2 follow-up that many were expecting, at least not yet. Thankfully. And it's not even an exceptional Batman story, at least not yet. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not great. And I'll even keep reading it for a while. But if I had to sum up my feelings for Dark Knight 3, the Master Race number one in one expression, it would be that emoticon with the guy that's shrugging his shoulders. I've never seen that. You've not? I see it all the time. And I hate it. (laughs) I love that little guy. Okay. Uh, I'm giving this a skim it. I didn't care going in. It was not as bad as I thought. I still don't care. Yeah, that's kind of exactly where I am. I felt nothing. I will say it did become very obvious that Frank Miller had very little to do with this main story. Yeah. And I have to wonder if the only thing that he really lent to it was this Adam backup thing that he drew a little bit of, or the idea of the fact that the Kandorians are going to come back or something. Right. But this just read They definitely drew off of his past creations with, with Superman and Wonder Woman getting together and their daughter and yeah. And, um, but this read like every Brian Azzarello Batman thing I've ever read. Yeah. And I didn't like those stories either. I really didn't care for me either. It's a skim it from me as well. I will say I, I liked this issue better than I liked that arc he did way back in the day after Jim Lee, after Hush ended where, oh, uh, with, um, where he's grilling meat and was, grilling helps him think. You remember was, that? Yeah. It was the hundred <laughs> bullets team. Yeah. It was, uh, Brian Azzarello and War and Eduardo Rizzo. Yeah. Broken city is what it was. Yeah. Called. And killer croc was a pimp. Yeah. Oh, man. So that is a double buy it for ringside and a double skim it for Dark Knight 3, yada, yada, yada. Now it's your turn to climb to the top rope and corkscrew slam us with your opinions of these comics over at the THN forum. Is that a Batman move? No, it's a wrestling move. Corkscrew slam. I kind of think. Yeah. What is a Batman move? I don't know.
The, the bat toosie. Ooh. Rather than sleeping on the sidewalk after Thanksgiving dinner like the masses of pathetic deal-seeking morons, Matt and I have adopted a road warrior-esque philosophy to our Black Friday shopping. Every year, Matt puts on his golden hockey mask and spiked codpiece, and I grab my mohawk and S&M gear. We round up the boys and terrorize the camped-out masses, leaving them naked and penniless. I just love it when Matt gives his, Just walk away and leave the Christmas presents, and there will be an end to the horror speech. That was a pretty good Lord Humongous. Yeah, thanks. That's pretty good. So join us now as we beat men, women, and children with chains and spiked weapons on motorcycles as we review ten more of this week's comics during... The Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Venom Space Knight, number one from Marvel. What a dumb idea. Good news, Aaron Myers. This comic kind of sucks. <laughs> I like the idea of a healed Venom wandering space and righting wrongs, but to label this book Space Knight... Yeah. ...when Marvel failed to bring Rom home is a slap in the face. I will say, though... I was kind of hoping that they would use the exact same font as Rom Space Knight and just add V-E to the <laughs> front of it. They didn't. Venrom! Yeah, right. <laughs> as for the comic itself, there's nothing in the script from Robbie Thompson to really latch on to. There's no mission statement to hook you on the concept. And though I love Ariel Olivetti, his heavily rendered digital arc looks clunky and stiff most of the time. Fun fact, Robbie Thompson... Also worked on Supernatural, like a guy that we'll be talking about in a few minutes. Okay. That won't save him, though. I'm giving Venom Space Knight a leave it. Yeah. Too bad. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, number one from Marvel. As some of you may know, I have a serious weakness for Jack Kirby's Moon Boy and Devil Dino. So, I was hesitant for a new character to become the Big Red Dinosaur's new best bro. But, within three pages of Amy Reader and Brandon Montclair's story, I was in love with Lunella Lafayette the nerdy little black girl star of the story. And they even went as far as to give Moon Boy a pretty solid send-off that paid attention to his canon. I loved it. Natasha Bustos' art was cartoony, fun, worked very well for this lighthearted all-ages story. I ended up loving this comic, and I've got to see how they sell this idea going forward. I'm giving this a buy it. Rest easy, Kirby nerds. Devil Dino is in good hands. Carnage, number two from Marvel. We skipped over Carnage number one when it came out a couple weeks ago, but how could I not check out a series written by the legendary Jerry Conway with art by Mike Perkins, who we both love? Yeah. Turns out I should have given it a pass after all. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, the creators do their best with the material, but I could not care less about the umpteenth return yeah. of the character that should have stayed dead when the Sentry tore him in half way back in New Avengers number two. Nice editor's note there. Thank you. Jumpin' Joe. Jumpin' Joe. I see what they're going for here. It's a very atmospheric, creepy, you know, whatever. But I do not get the appeal of this character or understand why he needed such a prominent place in Marvel's high-profile relaunch. Yeah, it's just because Venom's in space? Is that yeah. it? Carnage number two. Leave it. Peanuts, the Snoopy special from Boom. For the record, were you like, is it, was it a light week for you? Or no, what? no, I just wanted to check in. For the record, I love Charlie Brown and the Peanuts Gang, and I've been dying to see the new movie, but my little head nieces went without Uncle Matt. I'm glad that Boom is keeping Peanuts alive, but I'm just not sure that the one-panel newspaper funnies I love lend themselves to the comic book format. This was fine, yeah. and it stayed true to the Snoopy French Foreign Legion strips that Charles Schultz created back in the day, but the magic just wasn't there. Like I said, I'm glad it exists, but I would rather just revisit my hardcover Peanuts reprints. I can only give this a skimmit. 
Yeah, I kind of felt the same way when I when they first launched the new yeah. fans thing. Archie, number four, from Archie. Artist Annie Wu joins Mark Wade to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to finally reveal the quote-unquote lipstick incident that caused Archie and Betty's breakup. I've got to admit, it was a lot more heart-wrenching than I was expecting. <laughs> I think I kind of prefer Annie Wu's style over Fiona Staples' here. Staples has a much more clean line look, but Wu is able to keep things in the same basic style, but still cartoony enough that those goddamn weird angular noses don't look freakish. I'm really hung up about the, uh, the noses in the How new Archie relaunch. You always mention it. I'm really loving this series. As a longtime fan of both Archie and these creators, Archie number four gets a buy it. Okay. Silk, number one from Marvel. It's the return of the adventures of not Spider-Woman. But seriously. Also it, not Spider-Girl. Also not Spider-Gwen. But seriously, in the aftermath of Secret Wars, there seems to be a lot of spider characters doing Peter Parker's old job. And this comic could have just been another female version of Spidey. But halfway through the story, it took a turn I did not see coming. And then surprised me again in the end. Excellent art here by Stacey Lee and Robbie Thompson, who Joe Patrick just talked to my about is doing great work with the character one that could have easily been forgotten i'm giving this a buy it i love silk i love the silk it was book. really good jacked number one from vertigo supernatural creator eric kripke we mentioned supernatural earlier i meant to flip-flop those reviews teams with artist john higgins for this limitless meets superpowers story featuring josh an unemployed middle-aged suburban husband that's desperate to recapture the love and respect of his family when Josh's successful brother convinces him to try nootropic brain steroids, things take a trippy twist. Sign me up. I really enjoyed this issue. I though I, It did seem a little familiar. Uh, the stellar art and color from John Higgins really sells the concept, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the story plays out. I'm giving Jack number one a buy it. Okay. A Jupiter Circle, volume two, number one, from Image. Mark Millar's vision of Superman and Wonder Woman return for a prequel story, and I couldn't be happier. This story takes place in the 1950s when everything was still hunky-dory with our heroes, but they were starting to struggle with their personal lives. Wilfredo Torres is back on art, and he is wonderful. I don't know if Millar is mellowing into a sweet old man, but if he's not careful, I'm going to demand he start writing Superman, and soon I'm giving this a bite. Yeah, but you know how it turns out for all these guys, right? Yeah, you read Jupiter's uh, yeah, Legacy. But right now, it's totally sweet, you know? <laughs> yeah, they're all going to get... Just look at when everything was great. Yeah, they're all going to get betrayed and horribly murdered. Oh, well, sure. <laughs> the Rejects, number one from Fearless Legacy Comics. After some gentle encouragement from writer Jesus Narvez, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I decided to check out his self-published comic. And I'm sorry to say that it's got uh, some problems. The dialogue is clunky and unnatural. The script follows a played-out one-last-score formula that we've seen and read so many times before. The character's motivations turn on a dime. First, the husband wants out and the wife is mad. Then she suddenly agrees with him, yet they go on the heist anyway. Between the script and some unclear art, I can't tell if they steal money, artwork, information, all or none of the above. The cover promises some sort of team concept that isn't even hinted at in the actual story. The art by Randy Valiente shows promise, but it has a lot of issues with basic storytelling. It's not always clear what the characters are doing from page to page, and sometimes it looks like they're acting contrary to what the script is saying. Look, I'm not here to beat up on a couple of dudes. I'm not going to give a leave it to some hungry creators that are just trying to get their work out there. But part of the process is putting that stuff out there and asking for feedback, and here it is. You guys got a lot of promise, but you've got a long way to go. And the only way you're going to get there is to keep making comics 
And the only way they're going to be able to do that is if we show them the support they need when they need it the most. So I'm telling you to keep at it. And I'm telling everyone that's listening to go to IndiePlanet.com and at least check it out. I'm giving the Rejects number one a skim it. Transformers, Sins of the Wreckers, number one from IDW. Every time I read a Transformers book, I am taken aback by how well written they are. This is the story of the Wreckers, who were developed by the Autobots to be sort of like their ultimate weapon. And the Wreckers went overboard <laughs> and committed war crimes. I guess I don't remember the Wreckers. They're, uh, the not, Wreckers, the same, they're they, not the same people from the junk planet. I don't... No, 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 no. The Those Wreck- are the Junkions. Yes. The Wreckers kind of came later, and I, don't, I didn't know much about them either. But they give you a brief history of who they are okay. in the storyline. And basically, it turns out that Prowl, the cop car, right? He was making, like, all these dirty decisions behind everyone's back to basically keep the Autobots safe. And if that involves a slaughter of some innocents, so be it. They're Decepticons. They're bad guys, right? This was, like, deep. It it, uh, touched on war crimes and, like, what is acceptable in times of war and real humanity. And it had fantastic art. I went into this again, expecting nothing. It was fantastic. I'm giving Sins of the Wreckers number one a gigantic buy it. I have got to read these IDW They're Transformers so books. good. It's just sometimes you have to look past the ridiculousness of the fact that it's a giant robot having these feelings. <laughs> is your ludicrous speed round and Chomp is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of a big red dinosaur picking up a little girl by her backpack as seen in Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number one. As I'm sure you know by now, Joe and I are sick of the capitalist celebration of excess that is Black Friday. It is an outdated excuse to get us to stop paying attention to the real horrors of the world for the bread and circuses of saving a few pennies on garbage that'll probably be returned by ungrateful friends and relatives the day after Christmas. So, but I got a TV for like five bucks. This year, Joe and I are taking a stand. And we've converted the Sanctum Sanctorum into our control center, where, with the help of the Fantastic Four's most trusted robot friend, Herbie, we'll be hacking into the International Telecommunications Union in Geneva, Switzerland, that keeps track of coordinated universal time on the Earth. And we'll be moving the clocks ahead a few hours to be the first to get in on Cyber Monday, the lazy man's Black Friday. Joe, while Herbie attacks the UTC mainframe, why don't we talk about some of the comics we're excited to read next week? You know that all of these scripts are going to be used against us in our inevitable trial. (laughs) Come get us. We're a mile underground. Next week, my pick is Totally Awesome Hulk, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Greg Pak with art by Frank Cho. 40 pages for $4.99. This could be a complete train wreck. It could be. It could be. Here's your solicit. There's a brand new Hulk in town, and his name is Amadeus Joe. To the surprise of no one. Get ready for the craziest Hulk story of the millennium as a kid genius decides he's going to be the best Hulk ever and just possibly brings the entire Marvel Universe crashing down into chaos. Totally awesome beach day. Massive monster mayhem. She-Hulk and Lady Hellbender. I don't know who that is. What? Is there a regular Hellbender? Yeah, wait. Lots of questions about that Hellbender thing. No doubt. Massive heart and ridiculous action brought to you by Planet Hulk writer Greg Pag and superstar artist Frank Cho. Is it possible for us to fit in one more exclamation point? Yes! <laughs> it's quite the solicit. Yeah, man. My throat hurts. <laughs> I love Am- Amadeus Cho. I do too. I love Amadeus Cho. I, I love too. Greg Pax running the Hulk. Yeah. Happy to have him back. Frank Cho drawing the Hulk. 
Come on. This was the team that introduced us to Amadeus Cho too, right? No, Frank Cho wasn't in on that. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Greg was... Pak introduced us to yeah. Amadeus Cho. Wow. Created by Greg Pak and Takashi Miyazawa. Yeah. Uh, artist of this last week's Ms. Marvel. There you go. He's the seventh smartest person on the planet. It's true. And he won a quiz show called Mastermind Excello. <laughs> okay. So I really like Amadeus Cho. I loved that run of the Hulk. I'm glad to have Greg Pak back. I'm glad to have Frank Cho drawing the Hulk. I think this could be just a lot of fun. It might not be a bad time to give Banner a little break. And I'm too. sure that where Banner is will be part of the, some sort of ongoing of mystery. Of course. As an old man, I am past the point of getting all butthurt when yeah. characters that I love get sidelined for a temporary amount of time. These things are all cyclical. Right. There will be a Thor 3. And guess what? Uh, Thor Odin's son will be back. Bruce Banner will be back. Of course. I, I have no doubt about it. And in the meantime, I'm happy to read the adventures of Amadeus Cho having fun being the Hulk. Yeah. Which is something that I don't know we have ever seen. Other than like Joe Fixit, who was kind of a prick. Yeah, but I wouldn't go as far as to say he was having fun. Yeah. I mean, he was in Vegas. Yeah. Matt, what's your pick for next week? My pick is Daredevil, number one from Marvel, written by Charles Soule with art by Ron Garney. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Back in black and on his home turf, Daredevil begins again in New York City as a new enemy emerges. Meanwhile, his alter ego, Matt Murdock, is on a new side of the law in the district attorney's office, fighting crime in the shadows, prosecuting bad guys in the light. It's a whole new chapter for a man without fear, including the arrival of the devil's advocate. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's his new sidekick. Welcome to hell, blind spot. Yeah, it's I, blind spot. I like the name. Yeah. And I love the black and red costume. I love it. All they did was reverse the colors and it looks cool. <laughs> well, okay. So while I have grown past the idea of getting upset when my characters get replaced temporarily, I am kind of bothered when they change costumes for no reason. God, you big baby. <laughs> I just love the classic Daredevil costume. I do too. I do too. I'm not saying it doesn't look, I'm not saying it doesn't look kick-ass. I love Ron Garney. I love Ron Garney. I do too. And if you read the preview story in um, Marvel Point One or whatever, all new, all different Point One from a few weeks ago, it looks amazing. Yeah. I am very excited for this book. It's going to be great. And it's going to have a totally different feel than it did. But I like Soul, and I'm glad he's getting away from all the inhuman crap that he's been doing. So Yeah, yeah. The THN trade of the week goes to the Butter and Blood graphic novel Whoa. from Big Planet slash Retrofit Comics, written and illustrated by Stephen Weissman. It's 96 pages for 13 bucks. I love Steve Weissman. <laughs> this collection of Stephen Ribs Weissman's material shows off his wide diversity from comics, illustrations, sketchbook pages, stinkers art, and all things in between. I don't know what that is. Prepare for stories about Guns N' Roses opening a deli, Chetso the talking dog who does stand-up comedy, and lovable rabbits living in a strange wasteland and taking acid. <laughs> I have no idea what this is. It sounded kind of fun. I love the title. I've got some of Weissman's old stuff. It's fantastic. And that's kind of the main reason why I picked it is because yeah. Butter and Blood is such a great <laughs> He's great. And Retrofit Comics, home of Box Brown. If um, you email Retrofit Comics, Box, Box Brown, Brown emails you back. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they do great stuff. This looks awesome. Yeah. Give them your money. Give them your money. Joe, now that we've filled our virtual shopping carts with Cyber Monday deals, you realize we could probably just use the same trick on Diamond every week. We could read next week's comics up to a day early, depending on the shipping we use. While we figure out the right shipping details, why don't you head over to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading next week. What the f FedEx Smart Post? 
<laughs> it doesn't <laughs> seem any smarter than first class mail. I don't know. <laughs> Breakdown, baby. Whenever Matt and I happen to find ourselves in a month with five shows, we like to host ourselves a good old-fashioned fifth-week event, just like Marvel and DC used to when they were still fun. Yeah. This month, in honor of the return of Devil Dinosaur, Matt and I are counting down our top five comic book animal companions. The Devil Dinosaur Memorial Top Five <laughs> Comic Book Animal Companions. As usual, Matt and I Indian leg wrestled to find out who goes first in. As usual, Matt won. You should see these thighs. These hammy hocks. <laughs> Why don't you get us started, buddy? Five. My number five goes to a fairly recent addition to the uh, stable, if you will. I'm giving it to Lying Cat from Saga. Uh-huh. Lying Cat is the companion of the Will, a bounty hunter that has been that was chasing the uh, main couple before, you know, the story kind of changed a bit, but lying cat seemed to have the power to tell if anyone was lying. And like if Joe Patrick were to come in, come in and be like, Oh, I'm sorry. I was late. Penny was being a real jerk. And lying cat was in the room. Lying cat would be like, lie because Joe was reading comics on the toilet. <laughs> yeah. Lying cat talks and says one thing, yeah. whether or not the person is lying. Lying cat was part of one of the greatest animal companion scenes I've ever seen in a comic book where this little girl that is rescued from basically sex slavery. And when I say little, I mean, she's like eight. Yeah. And she is laying with lying cat and just sort of talking to the cat. And she says, I'm dirty inside and I'll never be okay. And I'll always be dirty. All these things are my fault. And all these things are my fault. And lying cat with its eyes closed, just kind of like cuddles up and whispers and goes, why? <laughs> and then she smiles and hugs the cat. It's like, Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> so great. Joe Patrick, what's your number five? My number five goes to pizza dog. <laughs> pizza dog. <laughs> AKA lucky. <laughs> From Matt Fraction and David Aja's Hawkeye series, right. uh, Pizza Dog was a dog that Hawkeye just kind of took in. Uh, took in, yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously loves pizza. Yeah. Gets in adventures. Yeah. Uh, went on a cross country road trip with Kate Bishop. Yep. Super great. Uh, the Hawkeye, the Marvel Select <laughs> Hawkeye action figure that came out a year or so ago came with Pizza Dog. <laughs> I kind of want it. <laughs> I just think he's great. He's my number five. Okay. Four. What's your number four? My number four goes to Red Wing. The oh, Falcon. Wait, time out. What? Let me move into my number four real quick and you'll see why in just one second. Okay. So just to get this out of the way, my number four is Lion Cat. Oh, For I see. Exactly. Like literally exactly all of the reasons you just said. I was <laughs> okay. going to bring up that story. <laughs> okay. We'll just move past it. My number four is Lion Cat. Matt, who's your number four? My number four goes to Red Wing. Yes, Sam Wilson's Falcon, who for some reason now is wearing like a backpack. <laughs> He's like, got like a sonic scream. Like a sonic it gives him like a sonic scream, thing, yeah. Which is kind of stupid. <laughs> I'll be but honest. kind of awesome. But I've always loved Red Wing, and I like him even more now that like when everybody sees Sam Wilson as Captain America, they're like, shouldn't he have an eagle? <laughs> gets kind of honked off about it and when red wing died right before secret wars they, well, we don't know he died no he died they full-on they killed red wing it was a thing i we don't know why he's back uh, no i don't think we actually saw that he was dead i think that was the cliffhanger was that he got like his uh, like uh barren blood bit him or something oh he died it looked like he was i don't dead. know man i got bent out of shape i was yeah, like well, yeah. oh oh 
oh! And it was in that moment I realized how kick-ass I thought Red Wing was. Yeah. And there's just something about the Falcon with a Falcon sitting on his shoulder. Oh, man. So great. Yeah, I love Red Wing. <laughs> Joe Patrick, what's your number three? Red Wing, psychically bonded to yes. the Falcon, thanks to Baron Zemo. Yeah. See, not everything Baron Zemo did was bad. <laughs> three. Uh, my number three is Crypto, the super dog, really? Superman's best friend. <laughs> a superpowered dog from the planet Krypton that, uh, depending on who you ask, uh, got rocketed to Earth in his own separate rocket ship. Sure. It's like mom and dad were like, goodbye, son. Oh, God. We should send him. You know what? Let's put his pet in. Yeah. You go too, buddy. We, well, we've got one more rocket ship. Should we get in it? And they were like, oh, no, we should no. send his cousin too. Put the dog in Kara, it. Kara, come here. <laughs> I just, I love the idea. It's such a stupid Silver Age idea. Yeah, but it's a dumb idea. It's a, no, it's a, he just looks like an Earth dog. First of all, the idea that an alien planet just has normal looking dogs. Sure. And he wears a cape and he's got heat vision and he flies. They have normal looking horses too. They sent a horse back for Supergirl. Was Streaky from Krypton? Yeah. Was or um, was Comet, I mean. Streaky the super horse. Or no, Streaky was the super cat. Streaky was the cat. Comet was the horse. Comet was the horse. Beppo was the chimp. Yes. I'd have to, I'm going to have to research this because I don't God. know if they all came from Krypton. There's a whole zoo of super Meanwhile, animals. Superman's parents stayed behind. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's so dumb. I, but I just love the idea that this friggin' normal looking dog wears a cape and flies around. And in the Silver Age, he thought human thoughts like he couldn't talk. But he thought in word balloons, and so you knew exactly what he was thinking, and he understood <laughs> Superman. I, I can't help it. I love crypto. I was uh, in the New 52 at first very sad when crypto dies immediately, but then later on uh, through s some nonsense that I forget, he does survive and come to Earth, but he instead of being like the normal crypto we love, he looks like a giant dire wolf. The new 52 crypto is terrifying and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Bomb, what's your number three? My number three, I took a little research because I wasn't totally sure. And I realized I didn't know as much about this character as I thought I did. My number three goes to Lockjaw of the Inhumans. Lockjaw is a giant bulldog, but... According to his wiki, he's a bulldog-like being that was turned into this thing by the Terrigen Mists. Now, we never really found out if he was a person, but at one point, according to his wiki, Quicksilver and the Thing witnessed what appeared to be Lockjaw, apparently a sentient being once mutated by the Terrigen Mists, speaking to them. <laughs> okay, so... This is what con convinces Quicksilver not to expose his daughter Luna to the mist. Like, that she could turn into a giant dog? No. <laughs> this was later retconned right. in Peter David's X Factor. When Quicksilver first shows up, Lockjaw brings him to X Factor. Mm -hmm. And you see in the background, Strong Guy trying to have a serious conversation with Lockjaw. <laughs> and Quicksilver comes up to him and says, What the hell are you doing? <laughs> And Stronga says, oh, well, Ben Grimm told me that Lockjaw is not really a dog. He's actually a, a person that just got turned into this by the mists. And, uh, and Quicksilver loses it and laughs and laughs. And he says, we just told him that to f*** with him. <laughs> Lockjaw is a dog. That's great. Okay, then I'm sticking with it. And I think that it's obvious in Ms. Marvel 
uh, when they Medusa sends Ms. Lockjaw to Ms. Marvel with a sign around his neck that says, my name is Lockjaw and I love hugs. <laughs> Lockjaw is a dog, okay? Yeah. He's a big bulldog. He's got a tuning fork on his head. He can teleport and the royal family uses him to take them places. And usually these days he's drawn sleeping. <laughs> like yeah. every time you see Lockjaw, he's on his side. Or he's like just a big doofus. Down. Yeah. <laughs> he's so cute. I love, love Lockjaw. Two. Joe Patrick, give me your number two. <laughs> My number two animal companion is Lockheed. Kitty Pride's purple dragon. Okay. She met him in space. Yep. They became best pals. Yep. He came back to earth with them. True. And now they're inseparable. Though you don't really see him that often. And they at one point uh, revealed that he was a spy for an alien race and he'd been spying on humanity the whole time. Uh, did they? Yeah, they did that for a while in that sword comic no, book. No, he wasn't a spy for an alien race. He was a spy. He was an agent of sword. Was that what it was? Yeah, he was secretly an agent of sword. So oh, was he like a double agent or something? Like he was working for his race no. and reporting to sword? No, no, oh, no. Okay. He's just like, they didn't know that he was a, he was a secret agent. Yeah, he was a sword agent. I mean, that's kind of the thing about Lockheed. He's a dragon, but he's not really an animal companion. He is no. a sentient being. Right. And like he has language. He can speak. He just speaks in a weird alien, dragon language. He was Kitty's best friend, sat on her shoulder, uh, wrapped his tail around her neck. Well, yeah, I'm look, I'm saying if oh. you uh, if you hang out with somebody and you cuddle with them on your bed and she scratches your belly, you're an animal companion. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> doesn't matter whether or not you uh, well, are. For a long time, Lockheed was just an animal. They sort of fleshed him out later. On. Yeah, but um, it was I, just this weird Chris Claremont thing. Actually, there was an issue of Excalibur. I specifically remember a fill-in issue by people I do not remember who, uh, where Lockheed is hurt really bad and um, they're operating on him trying to uh, save his life and his soul merges with the, like, the, the world mind of his people and they put him on trial. What? It's crazy. I don't remember this Yeah, and all. so all of these, there's like a whole race of Lockheeds and they kind of brought him into this communal mindscape where he had to justify his relationship with these humans. Huh. I do not remember this. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like one of the only issues of Excalibur I had. <laughs> it was nuts. And uh, yeah, Lockheed is crazy, but I love him. Okay. Lockheed, also my number two. Hey. Look at us. Nice. Wow. It's like we're cycling together. Gross. Oh, that was gross. That came out weird. One. Let's get to our number ones. My number one is Lockjaw. Lockjaw is your number one? Yeah. Really? Absolutely. I That's love it. That's crazy. Him. We had so many on the same list. I just love Lockjaw so much. I can't uh, believe the one I'm going to name for my number one is not on your list. And when I say it, I bet you're going to go, when you're gonna When you say it, I'm going to tell you that I thought about it and did not include him. Is that right? Yeah. My number one is Ampersand. Oh, no. Zabu. Oh. My number one is Zabu. <laughs> no. <laughs> Your number one is Ampersand, oh. and I do love Ampersand. My number one is Ampersand from Why the Last Man, Yorick Brown's male capuchin monkey that stayed with him through his crazy trip across a world with no men in Brian K. Period Vaughn's classic Why the Last Man story. I loved Ampersand. I loved Ampersand, too, and while I am not going to spoil anything... Something uh, happened. The final issue of Why the Last Man oh my God. had me oh bawling my, my goddamn eyes God. out. The scenes between York and Ampersand. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, man. Too much. I can't handle Too it. Too much. And I would say Zabu, close, close, 
right in there. Like, I love Zabu. I wish Kazar this and Zabu. Oh. I wish this was a top ten because yeah. <laughs> I wanted to pick Zabu for something, but I had to stay true to my feelings. No, I got you. I got you. We want to hear your to favorite top five super pet companions. They don't have to be super. You know, they can just be like we said. Ampersand's just a monkey. Yeah, Ampersand's just a monkey. He was my number one. Come on. But go over to the THN forums. Let's hear your top five favorite. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Blackest Friday episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that peel back the thin skin of reality to expose the horrifying forces behind the commercialization of the holidays, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, please, please leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your heart. It helps us stay relevant. It helps us pop up in others' feeds. And it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors. You keep this socialist war machine chugging along. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation monthly box, and as little as a buck a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. If you want to yell at us personally, head over to twoheadednerd.com, where you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week, Skype, and more importantly, the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. You call that number and a little red phone with no buttons on it wiggles. Actually, it's got a little smiley face and a red nose and the red nose lights up. <laughs> like the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, it's a Ziggurat Hotline. <laughs> a little phone a mile under the ground rings and we get your message. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. It's easy. It's easy. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to our buddy, Jeremy Superfro Meyer of the Signed In Podcast, who celebrated his birthday just yesterday. Word to you, old sir. Now, help us figure out how we can get the hookup for free copies of video games for, you know, review purposes. Those floating quotes were Periscope exclusive. <laughs> we coordinated that. We didn't even plan it. Until next time, True Believers, remember to pre-order your comics because trying to get them all for review purposes never <laughs> works. It's <Jeez>. tough. <laughs> this is a Two and a Nerd signing off. Just walk away and there will be an end to the horror.